Hi there, this is Darren Spoo, pastor at First Baptist Church in Tulsa, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. We would invite you to join us in person Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 o'clock in downtown Tulsa, or check out our webpage at tulsafbc.org. God bless you, and have a great week. So the process of writing commercials, it's a fascinating one. It truly is fascinating to me how commercial writers take three basic tools of rhetoric, simplicity, brevity, and a clear call to action. And in a short amount of space, they, they, they gather our attention. They, they earn enough trust that we'll actually follow their advice to, to act or react. Now, not every commercial necessarily follows those rules. We've all heard the automotive commercials that include legal disclaimers at the end that sound like an auctioneer that muddle the the message a little bit. But the commercials that, that we resonate with the best, they're the ones that are clear and simple that invite us to respond to them. One of the commercials that I resonate with the best is it's a commercial that we're probably all familiar with, the Geico commercials. 15 minutes can save us 15% or more. In, in a very short amount of space, those commercial writers have caught our attention by saying we can save some money. They, they've, they've earned our trust by thinking, okay, it's not that much time. Maybe, maybe it'll be worth the investment. And they've invited us to respond. What I find fascinating is the author of Hebrews does something strikingly similar in the passage that we're going to look at today in Hebrews chapter 4. Throughout the summer, we've been looking at a series exploring the book of Hebrews, both exploring ways in which Jesus is the most superior pathway to experiencing God and ways that that the author of Hebrews invites us to experience God or he exhorts us to experience God. Many of the arguments that he creates in the process of, of inviting us and exhorting us, they can be complex and challenging. But as we look at the end of Hebrews chapter 4, In three verses, he paints a clear and simple snapshot of who Jesus is and then invites us to find something that we're all looking for, acceptance, filled with grace and mercy. So let's pray. God, I pray this morning that you would help us to experience you. May you help us to understand at greater depths who you are. And from that understanding of who you are, may you help us to find grace and mercy in our time of need. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you have your Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter 4. That's where we'll be spending our time. Starting in verse 14, the author of Hebrews writes, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So who is Jesus from this short passage? There's a word that the author uses twice in the passage. He says that Jesus is a high priest. And I don't know about you, but when I hear the the word high priest, I don't necessarily think of a biblical image. I think of 
a man that's dressed in, in a black shirt and has a white collar, maybe somebody who's, who's in a, uh, a confessional booth, maybe that's the image you think of as well. Well, just as, as I think of that image, people in the first century world, they would have had a couple of images that came to their mind as well. They would have thought of an Old Testament priest, one who would go before God on their behalf to offer a sacrifice for their sins. They also would have thought of a priest in their own day, in the first century world, that was in the middle of a very complex system of religious rules. And so I want to take a walk through history with our time remaining this morning and look at each of these images, the, the Old Testament priest, the, the priest that first century Christians would have encountered, and even our modern image of a priest, and compare that to the text to see who Jesus is and how we can respond to God because of that. The first image is the image of the Old Testament priest. That's a priest who was very hands-in and invested in people finding reconciliation for their sin and finding restoration or healing. To understand that image of a priest, we actually have to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis 1, God created everything around us that we can touch and smell and experience from plants to animals to birds in the sky to fish in the sea. He intentionally placed everything where it was, and the Bible says he called it good. And that goodness carried through and wasn't interrupted until Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and they sinned. The moment that they disobeyed, the result of sin was brokenness. Brokenness was felt in that Adam and Eve were ashamed for what they'd done. They felt like they had to hide from each other. And so they made clothes out of fig leaves. And then they went and hid in bushes to hide from God because they were afraid of what they'd done that God would be angry with them. But isn't that what sin does? It, it brings separation between us and other people. It makes us feel like we're all alone. We have to fight things on our own. And we have to hide. But God didn't leave them there. God actually went and he killed an animal. He made for them clothes that would cover over their shame. But he did that because he sacrificed for their sins. He covered over their sins through that sacrifice. The Hebrew people believed that in order to pay for sins, you had to have a sacrifice. They had to, to, to exchange an innocent life for the guilt and the shame that sin brings about. And so God provided for them through that sacrifice. And Hebrews believed, and, and we believe today, that sin is a universal experience, that it's something we all walk through. None of us are perfect. The Bible actually says, Paul sums it up in, in Romans 3, that every one of us have sinned and fallen short of God's standard of perfection. That image of sin, it actually comes from a Hebrew concept of an archery target. If you think about a target with concentric circles and an archer, when he shoots at that target or she shoots at that target, she can shoot at the target and hit the target dead on center once, twice, three, maybe even a dozen times. But at one point or another point, you won't hit dead on center. You may be off by a microscopic amount. You may be off by five feet or ten feet or more. It doesn't matter. When we're not perfect 100% of the time, we fall short of God's standard of perfection. That's the in image of sin or the concept of sin in the Bible. And Paul says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin or the consequences of sin is death. 
But just as God did not leave Adam and Eve in the middle of their sin, and He covered over their sin by providing a sacrifice, God covered over the sins of everyone else in the Old Testament in providing priests. Their job was to actually make a pathway so people wouldn't have to feel the consequences of brokenness. They would go before God. The high priest, once a year on the Day of Atonement, would go before God and would slaughter a bull knowing that he could take care of the sins of the people so they wouldn't have to feel guilty or feel ashamed or feel alone anymore. It was a bloody mess. He would cut the animal. Blood would be all over the place. He would take some of that and sprinkle it on the altar for, for their sins and for his sins. Then he would take portions of the meat and he would burn it before God. He would take other portions of the meat and boil it for other purposes. That priest was not afraid to get dirty and get in the middle of all of the guts of that animal to make sure that people could be made whole and restored because of their brokenness. That, my friends, is an image of Jesus. Jesus is not afraid to get into the middle of our mess, in the middle of whatever is going on in our lives. And there's times when we truly feel like our mess makes us isolated or alone, or we feel so broken that there's not a whole lot that we can do. Jesus does not leave us there, and he doesn't want us to have to feel like we can walk alone because he wants to walk with us. Maybe today you're here and you feel like you're all alone. Maybe you feel like someone is out to get you. Well, Jesus felt that way when Herod was trying to kill him. Maybe you feel like your best friend has left you alone and betrayed you. Jesus felt that too when one of his closest friends betrayed him for 12 pieces of silver or for 30 pieces of silver. Maybe, maybe you feel like all of your friends has left you alone and walked away from you. Jesus felt that way too when he was on trial and all of his friends denied him and walked away from him and left him alone. Maybe you feel like the whole world is out against you. Jesus felt that when he was on trial and everyone was shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Maybe, maybe you feel like you're even accused of things that you haven't done and you don't know what to do with that. Jesus knew the weight of that too when Jesus went to trial. Not for anything he did, Because he took the weight of the sins of the world on his shoulders and willingly went to the cross to pay the price for that, to be a sacrifice for those things so that you and I could be made whole. See, Jesus wasn't afraid to get in the middle of the mess then, and he's not afraid to get in the middle of the mess in our lives today. He wants to walk with us. The second image that someone at the time this letter was written would have thought of was the image of a priest in the first century world. And to understand this priest, we have to go back to about 400 years before Jesus. When Jerusalem was taken captive, at first by Babylon, then by Persia, and then by Alexander the Great and the Greeks, three nations that didn't know God, the people of Israel, the people of Jerusalem, and and leaders specifically, felt like God had abandoned them. They didn't know what to do with that because they felt like, how could a good God allow people who didn't even worship him or believe in him take over them and lead them. And so they started to process and try to determine what they could do to get God's attention. And they all decided, maybe if we just add a bunch of stuff to what's already written in the Bible, then we can get God's attention. That's where the Pharisees came about. 
they thought if we add 613 more laws to what's already written in the Old Testament, then maybe we can raise the bar for personal holiness and we can gain God's favor and he'll reestablish the nation of Israel again with Jerusalem as its capital. The Sadducees thought, what if we add to the rules by, by um, compromising with other groups, with other peoples? Maybe then we'll be able to continue to lead and we'll force God's hand and he'll allow us to lead. The Essenes thought if we retreat into a subculture, then we'll be taken care of. The Zealots thought if we just stand our ground and firmly profess what we believe, that'll be enough. Everyone wanted to add to the law. It's not all that different from today. When we look around at professional athletics, athletes, when their contract are up for renewal, it doesn't matter whether, whether they're in baseball or football or basketball. They start working out a little bit more. They start making better plays. They start doing what they can do to gain the attention of the owners of either their team or of other teams to suggest that they're worth getting paid more and they're worth keeping around because they will do an amazing job. In the same way, all of these priests in antiquity were trying to catch God's attention by doing one more thing or lots of more things than what was prescribed in the Bible. And when you went to worship God, you didn't necessarily know which group your priest came from because the only requirement to be a priest was genealogy, was lineage, was based off of being from the tribe of Levi and a descendant of Aaron. Now, the priests originally were established to help you get right with God so you wouldn't have to feel the weight of the consequences of sin. But this was such a complex system. It, it was almost like you needed a, a CPA for our taxes here in modern-day America to help you navigate the road of, of which priest you would encounter, what, what, what process through which they would expect you to go through in order to be able to make right standing with God. And when you went to the temple to offer sacrifices, you had to take your money, you had to exchange it for temple currency, then you had to offer a temple, uh, a temple tax. Then you had to purchase a, an offering that either it was based on your level of income and you didn't necessarily know what that was because from moment to moment it would change based on inflation. It was such a complex system that Jesus was so angry. He actually turned over tables. In the last week of his life, he got mad because the process of worshiping God was supposed to be simple. But all these people had made it a complex process. Life can sometimes be complex, but Jesus makes things simple. In the 1970s and the 1980s, there was a, a math teacher in the barrios in Los Angeles, California. He taught at Garfield High School in a school in inner city L.A. where, where everyone had written off the kids because they thought they were inner city kids. They weren't going to graduate from high school. They weren't going to amount to anything. But he invested in them. He taught them calculus of all things. And he had this poster that was in the back of his classroom that became a, an anthem for his students. It said, calculus need not be made simple. Simple it already is. In 1982, he, he gained national attention when 18 of his students took the AP calculus exam and all 18 of them passed. People on the AP board actually thought the students had somehow colluded together during the test and had cheated. So they made them retake the test. 
They retook the test, and they passed again. Because Escalante, he had done something profound in taking these complex theorems of calculus and making them easy for the students to retain. He'd taken those, those complex issues and made them simple. It's not that calculus is simple, but it's that he made it easy for the students to hold on to. In the same way, our lives may not always be simple. We may still walk through difficult circumstances, but with Jesus, we can find incredible peace, and he will help us walk through it in a greater way than when we walk through it alone. So maybe today, life has gotten really complex in the last few weeks. Maybe some of you have gotten a cancer diagnosis that you don't know what to do with. Maybe someone that you love dearly recently passed away. Maybe work has just gotten more complicated than you thought was possible. I believe Jesus today is standing and reminding us that with him, if we lean into him, we can find incredible simplicity to walk through our days. The third image that I want to look at this morning is the image of our modern-day priest, of a Catholic priest. Whether it's one that, that we think of that wears the, the black shirt and the white collar, whether it's one who is in the confessional booth, or maybe, maybe you think of Whoopi Goldberg in Sister Act. I, I don't know what you think of, but for me, as, as I think of a Catholic priest, I actually think back to when I was in college. I was invited to go and visit several churches that were of a Christian tradition but were well outside of my own. In one of those services, I actually went to a Catholic Mass. I remember sitting in the service just as it began, and the Catholic priest came from the back of the room towards the front carrying a thurible. It's, it's an incense burner that looks like a, a silver softball that was attached to a chain, and it was burning incense, so I remember the smell of incense as he walked up to the front of the room. As he got to the front, he invited us to sit down and stand and sit down and stand. And he would walk through reading scripture and singing songs. And then he invited us to sit again as he delivered a homily, a short sermon. Through that short sermon in particular, he shared with us how he believed that the Catholic Church was the ultimate dispenser of grace. You couldn't experience God's grace without experiencing that through the Catholic Church. And he believed there, you could experience seven sacraments or seven pathways to experience God's grace only through the Catholic Church. Now, the Bible actually only says there's two sacraments, communion, which we took together just a few moments ago, and the Lord's Supper, or the Lord's Supper and baptism, which we'll talk about towards the end of the service. But he went on and he talked about how as priests, God had ordained him and other priests like him to be a mediator, someone that would be, go between us and God in order to, to help us reconcile with sin. And he said the only way for us to deal with sin was to go through him. I don't agree with that, but I'm going to pause there for just a moment because not only do I not agree with it, the Bible doesn't agree with it. I want to issue a couple of caveats. The first one is that we as Baptists, we don't have the corner market on salvation. The Bible actually says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, that we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus, not by works, so that no one can boast. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, 
If we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Salvation comes in confessing Jesus. And I believe we have brothers and sisters who are, attend Catholic churches that are Christian, that are following the way of Jesus, that have said yes to Jesus. I will also say, when it comes to confession of sins, the, the, I think the Catholic Church does have something right with that. James 5.16 says we should confess our sins to one another. There's something good about confessing. But I think the Catholic Church also has missed the mark and that confession is limited just to a Catholic priest. Because Hebrews 7.25 says we have one mediator between us and God, and that's Jesus. And Jesus stands as a mediator between us and God, even now interceding in our behalf in the throne room of heaven. And so that service concluded, and the Catholic priest left. And I was wrestling with what he said because it didn't line up with what I see in Scripture. And so I started investigating and found out the Catholic Church really believes that priests function a lot like realtors function today when we go out and we purchase property. That, that when we purchase property, we, we want a realtor to help us get the best deal possible, to know the fine print of a contract so that they can negotiate for us what, what's best for us, what's best for the seller, except they believe that a Catholic priest is a mandatory mediator, someone that's required for us to experience God's grace. That isn't at all what the Bible says. The Bible says that Jesus is our mediator, that Jesus is the one who goes before us to God. And not only that, but Jesus went to the cross to pay the penalty of sin on our behalf. He took the weight of that on his own shoulders so that we could experience new life. Maybe you're here today and you feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders and you don't know where to turn. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We can go to Jesus and we can confess not just our sins, not just our shortcomings, but we can share everything that's on our heart. That's really what confession means, sharing everything that's going on in our lives, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I love the Psalms in particular where David, we see time and time again, pouring out his heart to God, whether things are great or he struggled. Psalm 38 is one of my favorite Psalms where David was being chased by Saul. He actually didn't know if he was going to live from one minute to the next. And he said this profound prayer that I want to read to us. At the end of Psalm 38, in verse 21 and 22, David writes, Lord, do not forsake me. Do not be far from me, my God. Come quickly to help me, my Lord and my Savior. We can take whatever is going on in our hearts and in our souls to God who cares for us. The Bible promises if we draw near to God, He will draw near to us. So who is Jesus according to our passage? With clarity, with brevity, and an invitation to respond. And actually about the space of a 30-second radio commercial the author of Hebrews paints a clear picture of Jesus who isn't afraid to get arms deep in the middle of the mess of our lives. He paints a picture of Jesus who is our mediator, who goes directly before us to the Father. He paints a picture of Jesus who makes all things simple. 
And then the author of Hebrews invites us by saying, let us therefore approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we can find grace and mercy to help us in our time of need. Let's stand together and let's pray together. Thanks so much for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of each worship service on Sunday morning, I offer a simple blessing, and I offer that blessing to you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. And may God grant you peace, both now and forever. Amen.